Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jeanette Collazo, and you're listening to the Power of Why podcast, a show about human behavior in the workplace, productivity, human error, common sense, and critical thinking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Power of Why podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Collazo. Today, we're going to talk about questions and answers. We have an email. It's called the power of why podcast at gmail.com. I mean, that's the address and you can send us any type of questions. So today what I did was that I combined the questions that I usually get from my trainings and consulting and also some of the questions that I have received through the email. Remember, you can ask whatever you want and I decide what is it that I'm going to answer. <laughs> I'm joking. No, you can send me the questions and if I have the answer, of course, I will absolutely do that. So usually when I get questions, they are kind of general and I'm going to give you general responses, but bear in mind that every organization is different. The culture is different. Motivation is different. So of course, it's not a one fits all, but at least I can give you a general answer of what we study within the topic at hand. All right. So one of the questions Can you explain the main factors or causes that contribute to human error? Well, first, the, I mean, there are many, many causes, issues associated with our limitations like memory, attention, vigilance, visual detection, overconfidence. All of those things are factors that are very important. Within the organization, one of the most common things that I see is lack of good procedures. And I know a lot of people, and especially organizations, they don't want to hear it. Oh, procedures again, procedures again. Well, Yes. The reason for this is because procedures tell you what to do and how to do it. And it will also tell you why you do it. When you have the instructions on what to do, you know what you want to achieve. When the procedures explain how to do it, you will have there um, the best performing a particular activity. And the whys are the ones that are going to provide you with the information to self-regulate and make sure you're following the procedures and that there is a reason for following that procedure. So basically the whys become the motivation behind following the procedure the way it's written. Now, bear in mind that there are different ways of doing a particular job. Procedures are basically um, the document in which we present the best way of doing it. So that's information that needs to be part of what you tell your employees. Yes, there are many ways of doing this, but we have chosen this particular way of doing it. Now, if the organization, I mean, if the employees or subject matter experts have a different idea of how to do things, then what you want to do is have them to get together and decide which one of their um, alternatives of doing certain activities, um, which one is the best. And then that means that that's the one that you're going to put in the procedures. If I'm part of creating the rule, then of course, I'm going to follow it. So that's one of the things that, that it's the most common when it comes to human factors. Another question is, 
how does human psychology play a role in human error occurrence? Well, human psychology has to be part of it because human error is about explaining human behavior. Why did I did? Why did I do this activity in this particular way? And why did I decide to do it in a different way and deviate from the instructions? There are reasons for everything, and that's why the whys are so important. But when it comes to the psychology, there are Actually, it's the most important part, right? Because we're dealing with humans and the significant role of psychology in human error occurrence are those things that influence errors. For example, attention and perception, right? Our attention can be selective, easily distracted or limited in capacity. And that's why we have to be very careful when we design our activities not to have unrealistic expectations. We have limitations in what we do. We have limitations like saying right now, um, attention and perception and others that we will discuss. So that's why we have to be very careful because we don't have limitless capacity. So this can lead to error when we fail to notice important information or focus in the wrong elements. In the same way, our perception can be influenced by biases or expectations leading to errors interpreting or processing information. Another element of human psychology in human error is memory and cognitive bias right? Human memory is not always accurate or reliable, nor linear. So we have to be very careful about that. We may forget important details, make errors in recalling information on distort memories over time. Additionally, cognitive biases such as confirmation bias or availability bias can lead us to favor certain information or make flawed just judgments based on incomplete or biased information. Also part of the psychology of human error is deciding or the course of action or decision making. So we um, often rely on mental shortcuts or um, and make decisions quickly and, if, and, and uh, you know, the best that we can. So even those those these can be helpful, they can also introduce those heuristics lead to flawed judgments or overlook relevant information or factors. For example, the availability heuristic may lead us to overestimate the likelihood of events that are more easily recalled from memory. Also, stress, fatigue, and workload, all of these are psychological elements. So these psychological factors can impair cognitive functioning, attention and decision-making ability. So as you see, it's not linear. You know, it's one, two, three, but all of these things interact with each other. So, you know, when you have stress, fatigue, you're overloaded, these conditions create more likelihood for mistakes due to decreased focus, impaired judgment, or increased reliance on automatic behavior rather than careful deliberation. So those are some of the elements associated to the psychology of error. Another question is, what are some effective strategies or methodologies for investigating and analyzing human errors? Well, first of all, you need to understand human factors. In human error solutions, we have identified the main factors that contribute to errors within the work environment. And we're talking about procedures, human factors, engineering, training, communication, supervision, and individual performance, meaning sleep mistakes and violations. So if I understand the categories, then it's going to be easier to identify those 
root causes. So the methodologies are re include doing interviews to understand the experience of the person that make the mistake. We need to understand the reality because when people make decisions, because those decisions make sense to them. So when we talk to people, we understand what are the reasons of a particular decision, especially when it's a decision that we don't think that it's the correct one. So when it comes to methodologies, you need to do a root cause analysis and determination, and you need to have a structured way of doing this process. We don't want to confuse a category with a near root cause. We don't want to confuse a near root cause with a root cause. So that's why the structure and those level of iterations should be part of the methodology. What are some co common challenges or barriers organizations face when trying to reduce human error and how can they be overcome? Well, some organizations are surprised with this answer because the main challenges are management, high level and middle management. Why? Because they don't want to accept that human error is not necessarily about people. It's about conditions and we have control over the conditions of our work environment. So that's why it's very difficult sometimes to let them know. Yes, people make mistakes because they can, because the systems are allowing it. So what we need to do is analyze the process, identify the weaknesses, predict where errors can manifest, and then put barriers of defense or detection mechanisms. And that comes from management systems and the structure and the programs that we put in place. Another question, and this one is very interesting. In your experience, what role does training and education play in reducing human error? Are there any specific training approaches, approaches or methods that have proven to be effective? Yes and yes. The um, training and education plays an important role, very important, because if I don't know what I'm going to do, if I don't know how to do it, and, and if I don't have the ability to be able to perform in a particular way, then that's the very beginning. So yes, procedures are very important, but procedures are our training manual and training needs to occur because again, knowledge is important. Now, the problem here is that knowledge by itself does not modify behaviors. I need to know more about the particular situations when it comes to human error. That's why the, um, the reasons for the rules and the steps and the procedures and the steps that we are going to take, which are part of what we learn in the training events, those are very, very important. Of course, you know, knowledge allows me to direct my behaviors towards the right actions and avoid actions where um, they're not necessarily the ones that we are expecting. So training has a lot um, to do. Now, the problem with training is that we tend to overuse training to explain human error. And the reality is that people, when they know, they know. If I have an employee that has been working with the industry for quite some time and has proven to, to successfully perform activities, then I would have to question if lack of knowledge or skill is the reason why this is happening. So we have to be very careful that we don't overuse training because again, I can have all the 
information, all the education, but if there are elements in my working condition that can create opportunities for mistakes, for example, distractions, interruptions, and you know, high-level demands in a particular activity that could also contribute to this. Another interesting question is, what are some key performance metrics or indicators organizations can use to measure the impact of their human error reduction effort? Let me tell you something. Most of our metrics are going to be impacted by human behavior, whether it's error or reliability. All right. So some of the metrics that we use are um, human error rate. Human error rate in the basic formula for human error rate is how many errors were occurred divided by how many opportunities to commit them. And that's what I want to do. I want to know the ratio. The total, I mean, an absolute number of how many errors we made, it's not going to give us a lot of information. It's good information, but it's descriptive. Now, when it comes to seeing the ratio between error occurrence um, versus opportunities, you can actually see if it's something that could be expected. Again, the um, lowest observable rating human error, 0.001. So if you are above that, that means that there are opportunities. Now, we have to be very careful because that would be like the optimum, you know, 0.001 would be the optimum and not necessarily is going to be realistic for most, most organizations. And that's why, you know, this metric is very important. Another metric that we use is how many errors um, occurred divided by how many, you know, parts per million or um, batches or documentation entries, which is very similar to how many errors divided by how many opportunities to commit them. But when we change the denominator, then we have a better understanding in exactly where should I place this error when it comes to metrics. Another metric is how many investigations or deviations are related to human error divided by the number of investigators investigations because that tells us the um, ratio within failure now this is explaining failure by understanding failure so i had a um, hundred investigations and from from those hundred investigations 50 were related to human error so that tells you that 50 percent of your failures are related to human error. So that's another way of taking a look at this. And again, the ultimate goal is human error reduction, and, and that can be measured in different ways. Another question is how, how do you ensure sustainability and long-term effectiveness of human error reduction programs within the organization? And this is very important, especially because I get hired and the client, you know, the clients hire me to reduce human error. So I go there, I do my diagnostic study, I do the um, human reliability assessments, I evaluate, you know, the culture, the environment, I can do all of this. And then based on that, we prioritize if we're going to start with procedures or human factors engineering, or if we're going to address uh, mostly memory and attention failures, which basically takes us to addressing human error with cognitive load and cognitive overload, right? To avoid mistakes and, you know, violations when it comes to that. 
So what, what happens is that we imp implement this process, which also includes a structured human error investigation and root cause determination process. Once we imp imp implement this, most of the times we see very quick results. You know, we, we start seeing a lot of reduction. And, and that's mostly because when we do the diagnostic assessment, we identify the major contributors. And since it's based in a quantitative methodology, you can actually see you know, the percentage of causal factors. Okay. I can, I can determine, you know, um, 50% of your, the human errors that have occurred at your site, 50% could be related to procedures. So if I fix procedures, my expectation is that I reduce 50%, right? If it's, and that will be the ideal, of course. So, so that's, um, one of the things that we do. So we fix those things. We put in place these controls and we see a very, very dramatic reduction at the beginning. Now, the problem is that for sustainability, you have to institutionalize these methodologies and these processes. You have to proceduralize and make it part of your day-to-day -day activities. This is not a, an effort that you do um, just today or this month or we got and, and we got a reduction and then we stop doing, you know, anything else because eventually it will come back. Human behavior needs some time to adapt to a particular change. And if we don't institutionalize and make a normal, um, you know, make these programs like normal behavior, then most likely you're going to back to go back to basics. And then you have to call me again. And believe me, this happens a lot. One of the things that I tell my clients is that even though it hurts my heart, um, my, my expectation is that you hire me once. It hurts my heart because I would like to see them again, but my intention is to be there, provide you with everything that you need, train you on how to do it, and then disappear. Now it's your job, right? I can do what I can do, but in order for it to be sustainable, you have to implement programs and you have to enforce programs and you have to put metrics in place. Even, um, you know, I, I usually tell my clients, don't forget about human error it, if it's part of your key performance indicators, because you would have to um, observe, you would have to measure, you would have to track. And that tells you if all of a sudden we see an increase, then we will be able to see, look, in my metrics, I see that there is an increase this month. So what happened this month? Well, maybe we had an inspection. Maybe there was a reduction in force that was announced. Maybe there were changes to um, volumes, things that affect human emotions. And, and when human emotions are affected, you can see errors that are not necessarily related to procedures or of those things, but mostly related. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm stressed with all these changes. So we will need to know. Now, that doesn't mean that if we see an, an increase in human error due to a particular activity that it's not necessarily going to repeat that we have to do anything about it. We have to be very careful that we don't create norms for exceptions, except Exceptions are exceptions, and sometimes we do get a hit due to a particular event and not necessarily a business as usual condition. So as you see, there are many questions about the topic. It's not a topic that we talk 
a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I have this show so we can share this and we can open our minds to addressing this type of situations without a punitive approach, because there are so many reasons. We just went through some of the questions. And as you can see, most of the the times we're not talking about people doing things because they don't want to see to do them. Yes, sometimes there are violations and violations are due to um, overconfidence and complacency, but that again can be addressed as well. So that's what I wanted to discuss today. I hope this helps. And again, if you have additional questions, specific questions, I would never tell who's asking or what company or anything like that. Actually, you don't have to give me all those details, but you can send us an email with your questions and I'll be more than happy to continue to do some Q&As because yes, we've been doing some, some episodes, but every time we hear some topic questions come up because I don't know what you don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly what you don't know. So that's why I need to know what you don't know so I can answer some questions. I hope this helps. Thank you so much for listening to the Power of Why podcast. Remember to subscribe and share. Until next time, take it away. Thanks for listening to The Power of Why with your host, Jeanette Collazo. Make sure you subscribe to the show and share. And also, you can send us an email to thepowerofwhypodcast at gmail.com. 